So uh, I actually wasn't supposed to preach today. Uh, so if it seems I'm a little unprepared, well, I wasn't supposed to preach today. Cheryl got sick. I had taken a week off, and it was it was our 20 year anniversary. It was wonderful. I took some time off. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I know what you're thinking. How can he be married 20 years? He doesn't look so old. Thank you. I know. Um, but anyways, so we had our 20 year anniversary. I had a week off. Then I got back. I wasn't supposed to preach, but during that time, I got an email from uh, Vern Methusek. Who knows Vern? A lot of you know Vern. He's kind of like a statesman around here. And Vern sent me an email uh, on one hand congratulating me on 20 years, and he told me he just celebrated, him and Wendy celebrated their 60th year anniversary, which was, I was really impressed by. So I'm just like one-third of the way. And also in that email, he had a question for me and a request. There was a certain portion of scripture that he messaged me and he said, I would love it if you would preach on this right here because I have these questions about it. And you know what? I was like, I don't know what else I'm doing this week. So I'm going to do that, Vern. And so what, what questions did Vern have for me? I'm going to get to that in a second, but first I want to tell you why Vern has a special place in my heart. <laughs> I really like Vern, and so uh, I have to give you a little backstory uh, about the story I'm going to tell you. Um, three years ago today, my family entered Quebec for the first time, so that's cool. Yeah, it's been a... We, I am so happy to be here. I love it here. I love seeing God at work. So that was three years ago today, but it was like nine months before that that I started having this conversation with, with all of you, with Westview Bible Church, first with the, the leaders and then the congregation. And it was April of, so after a few months, it was April of 2020 that my wife and I were supposed to come and visit all of you, but the world shut down. Just all of a sudden, we had our plane tickets, and right then, when we were supposed to leave, everything shut down, and so we couldn't come. So instead, we had to do everything on Zoom. You guys got to meet us on Zoom. You got to hear sermons on Zoom. And, well, normally, under most circumstances, before a pastor, um, before a church invites, you know, a candidate to be their pastor, they'll... Again, have them come and visit and, and meet them all in person and get to ask questions. But because we had to do a different, things, things were really different. <laughs> and, uh, well, um, most of you in here have probably had the pleasure of being interviewed for a job. And that can be intimidating. It's easy to get nervous. Typically, there's like one or two or maybe a three or a small panel of people interviewing you. Let me tell you, it's a little different when you have to prepare yourself to be interviewed by like 100 Zoom screens. Because we had this time scheduled where my wife and I were going to come and meet the whole church on Zoom. And anyone could ask us a question with everyone watching and so I was nervous, and there was other reasons why I was nervous. At this point in my life, there had been these months of, of talking with, 
with the leaders of the church here, and God was at work in, in our life in a just turning everything upside down. And even though it was not a done deal where I had, I had not been officially invited to come, I hadn't even met the church, it was clear that God was at work and there were some other circumstances at the time, but we took a step of faith and we actually put our house on the market and had an offer right away and, we, uh, and I left my job. And so basically we were in a place in life where God brought us to where there was no plan B. Um, and sometimes God does that, by the way. It's a little tangent inside of a tangent. Sometimes he does that where you want to have a plan that you can rest on. You know, a good plan where you can be like, I have a good plan that I'm confident about, and all God will give you is, here's the next step, just trust me. You just put one foot in front of the other, that's all I'm showing you. All you have, instead of a plan, all you have is me to trust in. And so I was at that point in my life, and so I was nervous. I got to do an interview in front of 100 people, or I don't know how many, and I'm also nervous because if they don't like me, there's no plan B here for my life and my family. And I'm also nervous because I know something about myself and about churches and how things usually go. So for 10 years in Wisconsin, I was a church planter. And church planting is a little different. It's a little different type of ministry. You're often like engaging with people who are not... Um, uh, super churchy, if I'm going to use that word. Uh, it's just different. I, I've found through experience that sometimes, not always, but sometimes people who have been long-standing members of established churches sometimes view me with suspicion and critique, if I could say it that way. I'm reminded of this one time I I went to like an older church in town. There was some event going on there and I had a motorcycle at the time. And so I went there on my motorcycle and I don't know, I was there doing something and the pastor who was a friend of mine came up to me and he's like, yeah, I was notified by a, a lady here that there was a strange man walking around. <laughs> and that was me, I guess. I guess I was a strange person just being there at the church. and. Anyways, so I just was a little nervous about meeting a bunch of members of an established church. What are they going to think about me? And uh, so there we were, um, having, about to have this interview, my wife and I. And, well, the way it worked is we were going to jump on the Zoom call. And we were going to sit in the waiting room. If you know how Zoom works, kind of a waiting room, we were going to wait and they were going to let us in at the right time. But before we got invited in, and a bunch of you were probably in that call, maybe you remember, um, before we were invited in, the church was having a discussion amongst themselves about us and about how things have been going. They had seen some sermons and all. And so we got into the waiting room and by mistake, someone let us in early. Just a little bit early. And Vern was talking. And I was like, at first I was like, oh no. This seems like just the type of person on the surface. He looks like the type of person who would be nervous and suspicious about someone like me. And so I'm super nervous because everything is on the line in my life. It was, kind of felt like the day of judgment, you know. You're getting judged by a lot of people. And Vern is talking. And I'll never forget it. Vern is talking. And he says, well, um, he doesn't look like I would expect. 
And he doesn't really, you know, carry himself, you know, like a, a senior pastor. He's got kind of a oh shucks casual style of talking. But there's a lot of Bible in him. And there's good theology. I like him. And in that moment, all this anxiety that I had just <laughs> gone. And, you know, this is something that I'm going to come back to. When you do have to be judged, and there is a day of judgment that I'm going to talk about, um, when you know that the one judging you already likes you, it's not so scary. <laughs> like, in a moment, all my nerves were gone. And not only that, uh, when you're nervous, sometimes you can kind of, it's, it's hard to be yourself when you're nervous, you know? But if you know someone likes you and accepts you, it frees you. It frees you to be who you are. And here's something that just I've, I've picked up about our current generation. Our current generation has discovered something. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about um, discovering who you are and being your true self, right? That's a big part of just the conversation of the culture, discovering who you really are and, and being your true self. And I have some good news for you. Like, that is, like, precisely what Jesus wants to do. I can tell you that his love, the love of God, the love of Jesus, frees us to truly be who we are and who he's created us to be. So that's something that our generation has really gotten right. There's power in discovering who you really are. But with that being said, there's also a trap. There's a trap set where you can do this the wrong way. You can... Seek to discover who you really are and try to find yourself. There's a, there's a way to do that the wrong way. And I'll get into that. Okay, I know that I've been all over the place in this introduction. And this introduction to the sermon, we haven't even gotten into the Bible yet. All that I'm going to come back to. So there's, there's a, it wasn't just to tell you about Vern and, and all that. Um, those are things that I'm going to come back to. But uh, anyways... Vern asked me to preach on a certain topic of Scripture, on a certain passage, and I'm going to go ahead and do that. Um, first, I'm going to pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help me speak in a way that is evident that it's your truth being spoken. And also, Lord, if I could ask, Lord, I pray that I would be able to speak in a way that it is evident that your Spirit is empowering me to speak and that it is truly you speaking through me and not my own thoughts but uh, thoughts that you've inspired and words that you've given. And I pray that all of our hearts would be strengthened and encouraged and, and perhaps challenged, but ultimately um, brought to a place of worship and joy through you, Lord, and through your truth. Lord, we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what, what, did, what did Vern ask me to preach on? Well, a passage in Matthew, and um, it's known as the, the sheep and the goats. Uh, I'm going to start reading it. Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Okay. Um, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing. He'll put the sheep on, the, on his right and the goats on the left. Uh, verse 34 picks up like this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my, by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you look after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay. Uh, so this is a passage. Some people have called this a parable. It's not really a parable. Um, other than Jesus comparing the people he separates to sheep and goats, this is actually him just saying what's going to happen. It says the Son of Man when he comes in his glory. And that phrase, the Son of Man, is, is a phrase that Jesus used um, to refer to himself. And it comes from the book of Daniel, where Daniel said, I think it's chapter 7, he said, I saw, I saw the image of, of, of what looked like a man, a Son of Man. And he had dominion and power, and he ruled uh, with an everlasting rule that would last forever. He said, I saw a man who's going to rule all nations and all peoples forever. And Jesus, in his ministry, he would refer to himself as the son of man, saying, I am that king. I am that king who is going to rule the nations forever. And here Jesus is talking about when the son of man comes in his glory. And so this we know is, 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 is the return of Jesus. And so this isn't really a parable but it follows, it's right after four parables. So this is Jesus speaking, and he gives four parables, and here it's kind of him like bringing it home. It's kind of like after four parables, now I'm telling you just straightforward, because what these four previous parables had in common was this theme of someone coming, and how it's very important that you're ready because there's, there's gonna be a time of judgment. In each of the four parables, you have, you have a, uh, he's comparing himself to, to a thief that comes, so you better be ready. A thief that comes in the middle of the night when you're not expecting it, be ready. I'm going to come when you're not expecting me. There's a parable of, uh, 
um, a master who's coming home after a long journey, and he better find his servants ready. You don't want to be caught unready or unfaithful to the master. There's a parable about a, um, a, a king who leaves, someone who leaves to establish a kingdom, and then he comes back, and his servants, are his servants ready? Were they faithful, or are they not ready? Because he's going to judge them when he returns. There's another one, a parable about a groom where you have like these virgins waiting for the groom and some of them are ready and some of them are not ready. So there's these common themes. It's not hard to see. He's coming. Be ready. He's coming. Be ready. And then there's, and there's a time of judgment. And, and on this note, oh, this parable or this passage I read just ended with, you know, it, 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 it's serious. It says some will go away to eternal punishment and others to eternal life and and you could have a, a certain conversation. There's questions about what, what exactly eternal punishment means. Uh, um, I'm not going to get into that, but I think we can agree it's not good. Okay? It's bad. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I have found that people often will say or think that you have, like, the Old Testament, which is, like, judgment and, like, hard stuff, and then you have the New Testament that is, like, love and... While it is true, um, the scriptures say that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Um, what that means is that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you do see different ways of securing our seat in heaven. Different ways. Now, even in the Old Testament, there was always only one way. But in the Old Testament, um, the law was given to help us understand that there is only one way to secure your spot in glory, to secure your spot in the kingdom. Um, but the idea that uh, judgment isn't found in the New Testament is, uh, well, when Jesus arrived preaching, you know, one of the things that he would say was like, oh, you know, um, people that won't listen to me, it's going to be worse for them on the day of judgment than, than, it, than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's taking the Old Testament judgments and saying, no, the judgment that I'm talking about is worse. It's going to be worse. And so it's really important for us to, to hear that. Now, don't get up and leave. And let me say this. I am not telling you this to scare you. Because in the end, I want to comfort you. Comfort Comfort. I don't want you to leave scared. If you leave scared, do what Ola did and um, find the podcast and listen to this sermon again. Because if you leave scared, you're not grasping what I'm trying to lay down. I've often compared the peace of God to the eye of a hurricane. If you know anything about hurricanes, it's wild. It's crazy. There's storms. There's wind. There's power. But in the middle, there's peace. There's peace. And in order to get to that middle, we need to confront some things, some truths. Truths is about God. Truths is about the coming day of judgment. Truths about ourselves and sin. We need to walk through that. Not ignore it. Not, not ignore it in the name of love. In the name of love, we're not going to think about any of that. No, we're going in the storm. Because in the storm, we're going to find the eye and we're going to find peace. And he's sitting and waiting for us. Um, comfort. Comfort. So, but this, this, this story that he told, 
cheap and go. It's, 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 about, it's about judgment, no doubt. And, uh, well, what was the question? What was the question that Vern had? The question that he had is a question a lot of people have when they read this. A lot of people read this story about Jesus separating the sheep and the goats, and they feel that it is different. It's, they, it feels like a different message than the gospel message they originally heard. And let me explain that. So uh, what you will often hear when it comes to the gospel is, okay, what must I do to secure my spot in glory in heaven, to be welcomed in, to be accepted? What must I do? And the message that's often given is believe in Jesus. Invite him into your heart. Accept him. Accept him as Savior. You heard that if you come here because I say that all the time. Our other preachers say that. Because that is the gospel. Receive him and, and it is yours. All the promises are yours simply by receiving the Savior. But when you read this, Jesus seems to say something different on the surface. He seems to be saying something different. He seems to be saying, well, I'm going to come and I'm going to say, did you properly help people? Did you give them food and clothing and, and visit them when they were sad or in prison? And you, you did. you welcome. You didn't. Get away. And some people might read this by themselves and think, oh, so really if I want to secure my spot, I really better get out there and start feeding people and clothing people and being nice. And, you know, in, in, in an extreme way, someone who really just reads this passage and maybe nothing else uh, oh, man, I'm reminded uh, back in Wisconsin, there was, there was a, a certain church that um, had a, every week they had a community meal where they would feed people, uh, homeless people or people that just wanted a place to come and eat. And uh, there was a certain time where my wife and I were downstairs. Uh, our church was, was helping with that. We were, we were serving it that week. And there was a woman who, who worked at this church, and, you know, they... they feed a lot of people on Wednesdays, and she said to me, you know, here at our church, it's really not about what you believe. It's just about helping people. And I, I remember just kind of slight glance at my wife, like, oh no. <laughs> like, uh, that's very wrong. That is super wrong. That sounds nice. It sounds very like, hey, it's not really about what you believe. It's just about helping people. That is like a complete that, that's completely not what the Bible says in so many ways. Um, it's kind of scary if it is, to be honest. Because if it is, it's kind of like, well, how much? How much do I have to help people? How many, how, how many meals do I have to serve? Um, is there a cutoff? I, 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 it's a scary idea if that is really the criteria. Like, basically, how nice were you? How nice were you in your life? I'm sorry, that's not the criteria. And if you look closely at this passage, we're even going to see that. And if we look at it in the context. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying don't worry about, you know, uh, looking after orphans and widows because the, the scriptures tell us really clearly, book of James, that that's something that pleases God. And here in this passage, I don't want you just like ignoring this thing Jesus is saying. It's super important to know this is like the fruit, this is the, this is the fruit of, of righteous living. But I'm going to help you understand this passage in light of the gospel message, and I'm going to try to see it all come together, okay? 
Does that make sense? I hope so. So anyways, you look closely at the, this passage again. You have Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. And, um, and it seems like at first he's just saying, well, did you, did you feed enough people and help enough people and such like that? And once more, I am all about, you know, helping the poor and, 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 and things like that. That's, that's a great thing to do. And you can look at a lot of Bible verses that talk about God's heart for the poor. This passage isn't really about that. I know it seems like it, but it, it really isn't. And I'll show you. Um, in verse 40, um, uh, it says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Um, this isn't primarily talking about just the, the, the poor and the downcast of the world. This is talking about the church. How you have, when he says the brothers and sisters of mine, he's, he's talking about believers. Um, and in the context, you came and you visited me in prison. That's like the Apostle Paul who is in prison. This isn't just going and, and again, like jail ministry is a great thing, going and, and helping people who are in prison. That's great. But here the context is talking about people who have been persecuted for their faith, which was a, a thing at the time, like John the Baptist who is in jail, you know, probably when Jesus was preaching this. So you have, um, here he's talking about how you responded to the church, to brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, even that has some questions in your mind. And to help better understand this, if we rewind a little bit about something Jesus said earlier and, and something Matthew wrote down earlier in the book of Matthew, I think it'll help us understand this. So we're actually going to rewind to Matthew chapter 10, uh, beginning verse 39. Um, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So you hear what Jesus is saying here? The, the thing about whoever um, finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will find it. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But you hear this thing about um, whoever uh, welcomes a prophet uh, will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. So um, what this is saying is basically if someone, actually it really brings it home in, in verse 42, it says, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my, di who is my disciple, that person will not lose the reward. Um, actually, this is the NIV. Um, in this case, the ESV captures it a little better, what's going on in the Greek. It says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because they are my disciple that person won't lose their reward. What it actually says in the Greek is, if anyone gives water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple. Meaning, the reason that they're giving water is because they recognize them to be a disciple. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet. So it's not just like, oh, I welcome you because I think you're just a great guy. It's like, no, I welcome you because I recognize you're a prophet. 
Um, I'm going to give you water, not just because you look thirsty, but I want to give you water because I recognize that God is with you. You're a disciple. Do you see what's going on here? Um, as in, it is about welcoming people and helping people and giving people water and such, but it's the heart motivation behind it that, sh- that, that is really what we're talking about. As in, one of the things that you will hear, salvation is a free gift of grace, meaning undeserved, that we receive through faith, through believing. It is believing in him that secures your spot in his kingdom forever. And here, what Jesus is basically just saying is that. Whoever gives a cup of water to a disciple because they believe, they believe in the God that this disciple uh, Worships whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet because they believe whoever give, whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person meaning because they believe here Jesus is saying the same thing that's really being communicated in the parable of the sheep and the goats meaning if you say you believe it counts for nothing okay I, I hope I don't need to tell you that I mean that's the book of James says that you see that in lots of places saying you're a Christian counts for nothing it counts for nothing. Okay, going to church, bad news, counts for nothing in itself. What counts for everything? Faith in the heart that unites ourselves to God. And here, so when he talks about this coming judgment, and the judgment is going to be manifested in, 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 in works, things that you can point to that someone did or didn't do, all that is is showing, did you have real faith? Did you have real faith that showed itself? Or did you have the kind of faith where you just say you believe and it really doesn't change anything? Because real faith transforms. Real faith changes. Because real faith isn't just a change of beliefs or a change of ideas or an agreement with a set of facts. Real faith is welcoming Jesus into your heart where he will live and he will transform. And when you see someone who is a believer and they're in pain, you feel their pain because the spirit that lives in you lives in them and he's living in you. And so if you're, you're, you're seeing believers in pain, of course you're going to go and do something if you really have faith because he lives in you. You're living who you are. Rewind, go back to verse 39. I said I'd come back to that. Look at it. Put it on the screen, would you? Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Remember how I told you there's something this generation has figured out. Finding your true self. Becoming your true self. There's power there. And that's definitely true, and this verse says that. But there's also a trap laid, okay? What's the trap? Whoever finds their life will lose it. What he means is whoever finds their identity and their life apart from me, that's the trap. Yes, you want to discover who you really are. Try to do that without Jesus. Discover who you really are apart from him. It's a trap. You're going to lose it. That life is counterfeit. That life won't last. However... 
Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So that idea of losing your life, what is he talking about? What's that all about? Faith is about welcoming Jesus in, allowing him into your heart. And sometimes that can be scary because you're like, oh man, if I let him in here, he's going to just change everything. He's going to do what he wants. <laughs> if I let him in, he's just going to make himself at home. And uh, I kind of like things the way they are. You know? I mean, that, that's really the, 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 that is the question posed to all of our hearts. If you let Jesus in, he is going to change everything. And if you like things the way they are, Jesus is saying you're going to lose it. That life you're going to lose. But if you allow me in, and, and, and I'll do the changing. Like, he doesn't put it on our shoulders to transform ourselves. That's good news. He doesn't say, go and fix yourself now that I'm here. No, no, no. You invite him in, and he does the changing. He does the transforming. And so that's what he means by losing your life. Losing control in the sense of you've lived thus far. You've been your own Lord. You've been your own God. You've decided for yourself how you're going to live. Let me in as your king. That's what he means by losing your life. And beloved, what you discover is life. You know what I was saying before? Like when you know someone loves you, when you know someone loves you, it just frees you. You just feel good. You just feel good. You feel free. That's the, the life that we find. Um, let, let's jump to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, first, let's, let's walk through this. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. What is, what must you do to secure your spot once more? Acknowledge him. Same thing. Little one comes in the name of a disciple. You are a disciple. I recognize it. Uh, if anyone welcomes a prophet, I mean, you can even just say that from the scriptures. The prophets wrote, wrote the scriptures. To read it and be like, that is from God. I acknowledge that. In my heart, I welcome that truth. I don't push it away. I don't reject it. If anyone acknowledge acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, what happens? God lives in them, and they in God. It's not just agreeing with a set of facts. It's inviting God into your life, into your heart. And beloved, he comes. When you welcome him in, he arrives, he comes, and he changes, he transforms. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. It changes us, knowing he's with us, knowing his love. And hear this part. Hear this part. It's important. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Do you hear this? Yes, 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 there is a day of judgment coming. But you don't need to be afraid. I tell you, I was really nervous, but when I heard Vern say, I like him. <laughs> It just, all my nerves went away. I still had to stand in judgment. I still had to go and answer the questions. I still had to answer the questions of 100 people. But I knew, 
he seemed to represent a lot of people there. I knew, okay, they like me, so this isn't so scary. Yeah, there's a day of judgment, but you know what? You don't have to be afraid because Jesus is in you. Do you believe in him? You don't have to be afraid. If you're still afraid, these truths have not yet sunk in in the way they need to. Um, it's good news. It really is. It's good news. Let's keep reading a little more. Um, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So you see, this love changes us. We love because he first loved us. That, that, that thing that I heard that lady say years ago where she's like, here, it's not really about what you believe. It's just about helping people. Nonsense. This is the fuel. This is the power. We love because he first loved us. If you don't know the love of God, any helping that you do for others, and I can be honest, if I could be honest, I, I knew that woman because I would interact with her every now and then. She never seemed like a happy person to me. Um, yeah, she, she definitely helped people. Didn't seem like something she was very happy about. That's not the kind of love that God is working in us. This is, this is the overflow of joy. We love because, we love because he first loved us. It is essential. It is essential for you to know that love if you want to love anyone with the kind of love that is truly of God. God is love. And that's why he says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother, whoever claims to love God, but doesn't love one another, specifically the brothers and sisters in the church, the, the body of Christ. If anyone says, claims that they believe, but they don't love people, they're lying. He's not saying that your faith isn't enough to secure your spot saying you don't really believe. And that's all Jesus is saying when he's talking about the separating the sheep from the goats. Yeah, there's going to be a day of judgment and we're going to separate those who really believe and those who just said they believe but didn't really believe because true belief transforms, doesn't it? We love because he first loved us. It's a love that, that sets us free. It's a love that changes us because he lives in us. 